It was Easter Sunday, and the teacher of the seven-year-old Sunday school class asked her students, can someone explain Easter to me? What is it we are celebrating today? Well, there was one little boy who lifted his hand, and the teacher said, okay, Johnny, tell me, what is Easter? And he said, well, Easter is the celebration because Jesus was crucified. He was put on the cross, and he died there for our sins. Then they took Jesus off the cross. They put him in a tomb and rolled a big stone in front of the tomb. Then there was an earthquake, and the earthquake removed the stone. Well, the teacher was quite pleased with Johnny's answer, and also the fact that she had probably done a good job of teaching the students about the resurrection. But then Johnny continued, and he said, And all the people from the town came to the cemetery, because if Jesus came out and saw his shadow, there would be six more weeks of winter. Well, there are a variety of impressions concerning the resurrection. And during the time of the Apostle Paul, there were three basic groups who did not believe in the resurrection. First of all, there were the hedonists who focused on the pleasures of the day without any regard for the possibility of eternity. I think that is illustrated in the story of the farmer who had had bumper crops and he had all of this grain, all of this produce that he had and he said, what am I going to do with it? And he said, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. Now that is the philosophy. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry enjoy the pleasures of today without any thought of the possibility of eternity. And yet God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. There are many people today in our own society who look at eternity the same way. That life is simply a focus on pleasure without any regard to the possibility that there is an eternity that stands before us. The second group are the pantheists. The dictionary defines pantheism as a doctrine that equates God with the forces and laws of the universe. In other words, everything is God and God is in everything and at death everything merges with God, therefore there is no need of a resurrection. It is interesting to me that 40 years ago, Francis Schaeffer warned that if Christianity did not address the environmental concerns, the world view of an extreme environmental movement would lead to a renewal of pantheism. That's what he warned about 40 years ago. And I think today that is exactly what we're seeing, that the extreme environmental movement is a revival of pantheism. The third group were the Platonists. Plato is believed to have fostered the idea of dualism, the idea that everything that is physical is evil, everything that is spiritual is good. Therefore, it would have been repugnant to think about the resurrection of a body when the goal of life is to escape the body. The goal of life is to escape the physical. 
so they rejected the idea of the resurrection. But today we're going to see what the Bible says about the resurrection. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse number 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. All right. We are here today in celebration of the resurrection. What if there were no resurrection? What if there were no resurrection? Well, Paul gives us seven consequences if there were no resurrection. He said, first of all, if there were no resurrection, Christ was not raised. In verse number 13, he said, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So that means then that the promise of the resurrection of Christ was a false promise. You see, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. But if there is not the resurrection of the dead, then that is a false promise. Jesus was not raised. That means then that Satan was the victor. So when Christ was on the cross and he declared, it is finished, he was not saying that the plan of salvation is finished. He was not saying that God's purpose is finished. He was saying, I am finished. If there were no resurrection, then the Bible says that Christ is not raised. And then Paul goes on, if there is no resurrection, our preaching is vain. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. The word vain means empty, void of content. Now, you know that during the time of the disciples that they preached the resurrection of Christ. But Paul is saying that if there were no resurrection, their preaching is empty. It is meaningless. It is without content. Today, there are thousands upon thousands of preachers who stand in pulpits on Easter Sunday preaching about the resurrection of Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, if there is no resurrection, then that preaching is is vain. It is empty. It is without content. It's meaningless. I preach to you today about forgiveness, that you can be forgiven of your sins, that Christ took all of your sins upon himself and paid for them there at the cross. But if there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness. I can speak to you about the power of God, 
that God's power is sufficient, that God's power is adequate for every need that you face. But Paul is saying if there were no resurrection, he says, then that's a meaningless message. There is no power that's available to you. So he said the preaching is vain. And then he goes on in verse number 14 and says, your faith also is in vain. Because Jesus was an imposter. The Bible says that he would be killed and raised on the third day. But if there's no resurrection, then he was an imposter. And it means that our faith is false. Hebrews chapter 11 we refer to as being the, the hall of faith because of those people who are listed there. But if there is no resurrection, it is not the hall of faith. It is the hall of fools without a resurrection. You know the story about Moses that is mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 11. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He was educated in the universities of Egypt. He was groomed to become the leader of Egypt, and yet the Bible says that he rejected it all. In fact, the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Now, now think about that. Moses had been plucked from the river, raised in the palace of Pharaoh, educated at the University of Egypt, groomed to be the leader of Egypt, and he rejected it. Folks, he had hit the jackpot. He had won the lottery. And yet the Bible says that he rejected it all. Now that is foolishness if there is no resurrection. It's stupid if there is no resurrection. And yet that's what the Bible says, that he rejected it all. We look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was willing to give his life because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. That is foolishness without the resurrection. And your demonstration of faith, I, I know so many of you, and I know your commitment to the Lord, and I know your ministry and your service to the Lord, and your generosity to the, thing, uh, generosity to the things of the Lord. Folks, if there's no resurrection, that's foolishness. And that's what Paul is saying. And he says not only that, but we are false witnesses. Look at verse number 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. If there is no resurrection, then the message we preach is a false message. You know the story on that first Easter morning when the women came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. And then they left to share the good news of the resurrection. The Bible says in Matthew 28, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it, the resurrection, to his disciples. Well, folks, if there is no resurrection, that was a false witness. These women who came to the tomb and saw that the tomb was empty, they go out to share the news about the resurrection. But if there is no resurrection, then that is a false witness. Simon Peter on the day of Pentecost stood and preached to 3,000 people and said that God had raised him up from the dead. Well, that's false if there is no 
resurrection. Paul says in verse number 8 of our text, he said, he appeared to me also. That is false if there is no resurrection. Just think, if there is no resurrection, my mother lied to me. Because my mother told me that Jesus was alive. My mother told me that he died on the cross to pay for my sins and that he rose from the dead. That's a lie if there's no resurrection. Linda and I have told our children and our grandchildren about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is alive and we are to serve him. But if there's no resurrection, that's a lie. We have told our grandchildren that, that Jesus is alive. If there is no resurrection, then we are false witnesses. And then Paul says, and you are still in your sin if there is no resurrection. Verse number 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Folks, if there is no resurrection, there is no Savior. And if there is no Savior, there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, there is no justification. And if there is no justification, there is no heaven. And Paul says, and you are still in your sins. And then Paul says, if there is no resurrection, the dead have perished. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if there is no resurrection. Albert Barnes commented, the argument here is mainly an appeal to their feelings, an appeal to emotion. All right, so what is he trying to say? Many of you have lost your parents to death, but you're comforted by the idea that they are alive with Jesus in heaven. But Paul is saying if there is no resurrection, they are not alive with Jesus in heaven. They have perished. There are many of you who have lost your spouse to death, a husband, a wife, And you are comforted by the idea that that loved one is in heaven and one day you will be reunited with them. But what Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, they are not in heaven and you will not be reunited with them because they have perished. Some of you have lost children and you are comforted by the idea that one day you will see them again because they have died in Christ and gone to heaven. But Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection, you will not see them again in heaven because he says they have perished. That's the emotional part of it. That's what he says. Because, see, folks, all of us have loved ones in heaven. I have a mother in heaven, a father in heaven, a brother, a sister, and so forth in heaven. But Paul is saying that if there is no resurrection, I'm not going to see my loved ones again because they perished. And they are not there. And he says, thus we are to be pitied. Verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, our hope is unfounded. And we sacrifice for nothing. Those martyrs throughout history who have given their life for the cause of Christ died in vain if there is no resurrection. Those people being killed around the world today because of their commitment to Jesus Christ are dying in vain if there is no resurrection. The pastor in Iran who has been sentenced to death 
If he is executed, will die in vain. If there is no resurrection, we've sacrificed for nothing. Without the resurrection, our commitment to goodness was for nothing. There are some of you who have, you minister, you spend time, you give hours, you give money, you do all those things because of your belief in the, the risen Lord. But if there is no resurrection, he says, then that's, that's senseless. It makes no sense apart from the resurrection. And what Paul is saying is that then we have lived our lives as fools. It's all a pipe dream. Do you realize that? That if there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied. Because he says we have lived our lives as fools. We've given our money foolishly. We've given our time foolishly. And millions have given their lives foolishly if there is no resurrection. Well, is there any proof that there is a resurrection? In verse number 20 of our text, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now, there is no question about the claim. The Bible claims that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There's no question about the claim. But the question we would ask is this. Is there any proof that he rose from the grave? Well, personally, I believe there's enough proof to win any case. With any attorney in the church, I think, could win the case that there was a resurrection. First of all, the Bible refers to ten different appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. So the Bible says there are eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. He appeared to the disciples in verse number 5. He appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. So he appeared to Simon Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Now that would include the appearance of Christ in the upper room where the disciples had assembled together. You recall that Thomas was not there. The disciples went to Thomas and said, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Thomas, being a skeptic, a doubter, said, I won't believe that unless I take my finger and put in the nail prints of his hand. Unless I take my hand and thrust it into his side. I'll not believe that. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas, and Thomas fell at his feet and cried out, My Lord and my God. So the Bible says that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Then look at verse number 6. Underline this in your Bible. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or have died. Ladies and gentlemen... The resurrected Christ appeared to 500 people at one time. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to believe that 500 people could have had the same delusion about the same thing at the same time. The Bible says that he appeared to 500 at the same time. Most who remain. In other words, Paul is saying most of them are still alive. Most of those people to whom Christ appeared are still alive. So Paul is saying you can go and talk with them. They are eyewitnesses. 500 at most at one time. Most are still alive. 
Then Paul says that he appeared to James in verse number 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. We don't know for sure who this James was. I believe that it was the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, at first was a skeptic concerning Christ, and then he became a believer. Then he appeared to Paul in verse number 8, last of all, as it were, to one untimely born. He appeared to me. Paul had persecuted the church. I think he was probably surprised that Jesus had appeared to him. So there are the appearances. There are eyewitnesses. 500 at one time said that they saw Jesus. And then there's the power. How do you explain the empty tomb? What do you say about the empty tomb? The tomb was empty. So what do you say? Well, there are those who said, well, the body was stolen. Who stole it? Who stole the, the disciples? The disciples were scared for their lives. They didn't even go to the cross except for John. And now then you think they're bold enough, courageous enough to go and steal the body when there are Roman soldiers standing there at the tomb? No. Who stole the body? There are those who say, well, I, I think he swooned and then, and then he revived. He really wasn't dead. He was, he was, uh, he, he swooned and, and then he was awakened by the dampness of the tomb and he came forth. Well, that's not John's account. John said when he looked in that the grave clothes were laying there neatly. You see, in, in Jewish burial custom, a hundred pounds of spices were placed within the folds of the grave clothes. So had Jesus swooned and unwrapped himself, then there would have been spices all over the place. The grave clothes would have been disheveled. But that is not the description that was given. So no, that's not it. The best explanation is the resurrection. So whenever you're talking about what happened, why is the grave empty? It's because of the resurrection. That is the best explanation. And then there's the confirmation that comes from the changed life of the disciples and the followers of Christ. Look at the disciples. They were cowards. When Jesus was arrested, they fled for their own lives. And then they go out after that to turn the world upside down for Jesus. How do you explain that? That these disciples who were fleeing for their own lives now then become such men of courage that they went out to give their lives to turn the world upside down for Christ. It is because of their belief in the resurrection. They believed that Jesus was alive. Then there's the perpetuity of the church. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the church has always been under attack, and it's especially under attack today. You know that, and I know that. Church is being attacked today. Let me tell you something, just in case you're worried. The church is going to prevail because of the resurrected Christ. The church is going to be here. The church of Jesus Christ will be here until he comes for it because he is the one who sustains it. Probably most of you here today could stand and give testimony about the resurrection of Christ and what he's done in your life. But what are the implications of the resurrection? There are several that come to my mind. One is that truth is stronger than falsehood. You see, when Jesus died... The truth was crucified because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But a lie cannot long conquer truth. I remember my mother telling me when I was a boy, Wendell, sooner or later, the truth will be known. It always scared me to death. <laughs> the truth is going to, and it always did. Let me tell you something, folks. Truth is stronger than falsehood. 
The second implication is that good is stronger than evil. Evil crucified Christ, but the goodness of God resurrected him. Third, love is stronger than hatred. When I read the text concerning the crucifixion of Christ, you can almost feel the hatred of those people as they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And they asked for Barabbas, a murderer, rather than for Jesus. It grieves me today, and I'll I'll be candid with you, it does grieve me today. When I sometimes watch television and I hear people talk about Jesus and they talk about Christianity and they do so with such hatred. But it reminds me that God's love is stronger than man's hatred. It also reminds me that life is stronger than death. Each fall, the leaves begin to turn and fall from the trees and the flowers begin to fade and shrivel. But you know what I know? I know that comes spring, those leaves are coming back. And I know that comes spring, those flowers will bloom again because life is stronger than death. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. I have a friend I went to high school with, Philip Keeter. Philip is an oil man in Texas and married to a girl named Mary. A few years ago, Mary was diagnosed with cancer, liver cancer. Mary was a committed Christian, had a great sense of humor. But Philip was in to see her one time. She was lying in bed and Philip went in to see her and She had become jaundiced, and Philip said, Mary, he said, your skin is just so yellow. She said, yeah, but doesn't it make my teeth look white? (laughs) As time went on, growing short, Philip went to Mary and said, "Uh, Mary, why don't we take a trip around the world? Let me take you to those places we've talked about. She said, Philip, I couldn't do that. I'm too weak. I couldn't go on a trip. He said, well, why don't I buy you a a new car, maybe a Lexus or a Mercedes or something, whatever you want. She said, Philip, I couldn't drive it. I have cancer. He said, Mary, what do you want? They had a ranch and they had a cattle guard that would keep the cows from getting out. And Mary had wanted a decorative gate for some time. And so she said, Philip, what I really want is I would like to see my gate before I see the pearly gates. Paul said in verse number 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the resurrection. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory because of the resurrected 
Christ, do you know him? My friend, do you know the risen Lord today? Have you committed your life to him? He loves you and he died that you might be forgiven of every sin if you're willing to commit your life to him. Would you do that today? Our Father in God, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus, for the life that you have given us in him. And Father, today we celebrate the resurrection, but we pray for those who do not know Christ, that today they might be born again into the family of God. Lord, I pray for those who are looking for a church home that they might feel welcomed here. But bless this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment.